to the Fresh Expressions podcast. I am one of your hosts, Heather Jalad, and I'm here with my friend Gannon. Hey, Gannon. Hey, Heather. It's good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. Um, I know that folks will learn uh, so much from our guest today, from Winfield Bevins, who has a new book that's out called um, Liturgical Mission. Is that correct? No, yes. That's right. Brand new book. It's, it's near and dear to his heart. He feels like he's kind of pouring his heart out and his life experience out and, and offering it as a gift to the world. And um, the the beautiful thing about Winfield is that he was raised in an unchristian home and and then sort of um, had a radical encounter with Christ. And and then, you know, long story short, became a, a church planter and then started yeah. experimenting with liturgy and sort of backed his way into becoming an Anglican and now is a director of church planning at Asbury Seminary. And he and there's a lot of people have different ideas about what liturgy is, but but uh, by definition is the work of the people. And uh, I know that he really uh, drills down on the fact that worship should lead to mission, and mission should lead to worship. And uh, and this is really indicative of of of, of liturgy and and how we how we worship God and how we live on mission with God. So what what really kind of struck you in your conversation that people should listen up for Gannon? Well, I think often we're tempted to compartmentalize the two, worship and mission. Mm-hmm. Worship is a thing that we do in sort of the uh stained glass worship space or the black box worship space or whatever it is, and then mission is what we do in the everyday. And Winfield is um attempting here to articulate a deep theology for uh, liturgy and mission, their hand in glove. I, you know, I, I talked a little bit with him about um, something Phil Potter told me, uh, who's a, a former leader of the Fresh Expressions team in the UK, that you know, worship without renewal is, is hypocrisy. You cannot, pardon me, mission without renewal is hypocrisy. So you can't do mission without a renewal of of your worship life, and so Winfield is basically articulating this sort of um, non compartmentalized existence where we are we are in worship in the body of Christ. We're out on mission, but we're not ceasing to worship in that space, and we're also um, bringing a mission into the everyday, even the kind of the mundane, mundane, daily um, kind of reality of our life from from yeah. you know doing doing household chores to whatever it is. Yes. Brother Lawrence, bring it on. It, well, it we, is that, we love brother Lawrence on this podcast, don't we? <laughs> it, it's the posture of your life is, is what we're talking about as far as this, this, this is concerned. So um, have a listen, grab the book. We'll have uh, links to how you can get that in the show notes and we'll see you next time. We want to welcome you back to the Fresh Expressions podcast. I'm Gannon Sims, and I'm joined by Winfield Bevins. Winfield is director of church planning at Asbury Seminary, and he's just written a very exciting book called Liturgical Mission. So, Winfield, we're we're glad uh, that you're uh, taking uh, some time out of your day to, to be on the podcast. Gannon, it's great to uh, join you. Thanks for having me, and uh, looking forward to our time together. So, you know, there, there are people out there in the world, Winfield, who hear the word liturgical and they think of needlepoint cushions <laughs> and they think of um, their childhood and, and maybe they've got, I don't know, post 
post-liturgical uh, stress disorder. Um, you have another segment of population that that uh, has gravitated uh, to the liturgical expressions of church, just like some have gravitated away from it. So I'm, I'm interesting as we, as we get started. Define for us what you mean when you use the word liturgical. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the word liturgy is kind of like a you know a buzzword for it means a lot of different things to a lot of people. Um, you know, typically we think of liturgy as kind of a formal set order of worship service, but the original origins of the word essentially means the work of the people. And in the, it was a secular word that Christians kind of co-opted and Christianized. And it originally had a connotation of kind of coming together for the common good of society. So it has this kind of mission from the very beginning, this idea of doing something together for the good of the world. And in what happens is in the early church, um, the early church's worship patterns, there's one of the things I get into is like this fourfold structure that moves toward mission. And that's kind of one of the things that, yes, liturgy is, is uh, brings together the idea of something that we do in worship, but it's something we do together um, and for a common purpose. And so there's kind of this worship of God, but ultimately good liturgy should drive us toward mission. And that's kind of one of the things that I really kind of get into with the book. Yeah, I'm reminded of Fresh Expressions team leader, uh, Phil Potter, it told me one time, he, says, he said that mission without renewal is hypocrisy. And um, I think you, you talk, you, you quote a lot of Robert Weber in the book, and Robert Weber's a, a hero of a lot of folks in the worship um, and, and music and arts kind of world. Um, but talk about, you know, the, the false dichotomy, I mean, people not connecting yep. um, mission with worship. Yeah, I think that's kind of the really the the thesis of the book is worship should drive us toward mission and and vice versa. They're interconnected. There's this false dichotomy in a lot of people's minds when in the early church, worship and mission were kind of two sides of the same coin. And really, I'm calling on one liturgical people to rediscover the missional thrust of liturgical worship, but also for those maybe in the missional, evangelical, low church, charismatic, whatever your maybe free church might be the better term, a background to, to embrace a more rooted, holistic expression of worship that actually forms us for mission for the sake of the world. Yeah, I mean, in, in my own work, I've, I've written a book called Bringing Church Home, and, and I was had a, a season of my life where I was around a lot of Anglicans and, and I was formed uh, liturgically. Uh, my, my grandmother was a Methodist. So I remember going to her church on a, you know, as a, as a child on weekends and in summers and, and just there, there's a, an ebb and flow to the, the liturgy that can again be stifling and boring to, to some, but, but if you kind of grasp it and take it into your everyday life. So like in, in the, bringing church home. I, I, I talk about home as a little church and the little liturgies yep. that we can bring into our everyday life. Can you kind of help our uh, listener kind of walk us through how the liturgy forms us yep. for mission? 
Great question. That's exactly where my mind was going. One of the things that I get into is when you when you look at the liturgy, there's a fourfold structure, and um, you know I talk about this the, the I call it the symphony of liturgy. You think of a symphony, there are these movements. It's taking you toward the crescendo, and there you know the movements are taking you somewhere. And these the fourfold structure of historic worship can be contextualized. I would argue, Gannon, I think you just kind of said it, is it can be applied for a home church context, a fresh expression. Um, you know, I actually did a couple of years ago a, a thing, a podcast for fresh expressions on how liturgy inspires mission. You know, again, my, my thing is there's a fourfold framework. Think of it like a symphony. And it's moving us toward mission. And so I'll just real quickly just kind of walk through that fourfold yep. structure. One is we gather, there's a gathering and you can contextualize this. I've seen churches around the world take this structure and apply it to their context. Um, churches of all backgrounds um, here in the yet the U.S., very diverse um, uh, congregations are kind of doing this. So one is gathering. And we, we kind of do this regardless of what your church background. We come together from across the city or community, wherever we live, we gather together uh, for the sake of worship. Um, you know, and there's different things that happen. You know, maybe there's hymns, maybe there's contemporary music, contemplative prayer. You know, there's different elements, but there's a gathering together. So the first um, movement is, is gathering. The second movement is the hearing. The hearing of the word, where we we gather together to worship God. The second is we we hear God's word, and we're formed by God's word. There's something actually happening through the reading of Scripture, the sermon, the homily. Um, in a liturgical church tradition, typically there are five different passages that are read. You're going to be immersed in the story of God week in and week out. Um, also tied to this hearing is the church calendar. So rather than the preacher or the church just having some random service, the church calendar actually moves us through these rhythms of the church year. So we're actually going somewhere. I call it, it's a discipleship journey of following Jesus through the church year. So we come together, we hear all of these scriptures that are immersing us in God's story because let's be honest, we live in a story-deprived world. There's so many competing stories and voices, and the liturgy reorients us to God's story. And I think that's where I, I would just say, to be deeply formed in mission, we need to be re-immersed in the story of God. So that hearing is so vitally important, Gannon. Now, the third part, um, now Protestants, um, you know, those coming from low church traditions will resonate with what I just said. We gather for worship, we hear God's word, but it kind of, kind of ends there. Well, in a liturgical tradition, we have the third movement is the table. And this is where we gather around the table of Jesus. And what I love about the Lord's Supper is it is missional in and of itself. Each week by celebrating the table, we are reminded it's not our table. It's Jesus's table. He's the host. We set the table, but he becomes the host. And um, in this, our, our differences no longer matter. The color of our skin no longer matters. We're reminded of 
the call to hospitality. It becomes a, a, a becomes a symbol and a metaphor for our mission as we go back and in, out into the world. As Christ has invited us to His table, then we are to invite others, the aliens and strangers. The scriptures call us to join in the hospitality of God. So the table, I would argue, reminds us of our call to mission because we're joining in God's mission through that. And so the fourth movement, we've heard the word of God, we've worshiped, we've heard God's word, we've fed at his table. Well, the fourth movement is the sending out. Now, this is really powerful. The early church would, uh, the, the minister, priest, leader would send the believers out in mission. And you have this in liturgical services, the benediction. And so in the Roman Catholic tradition, many of us know the Catholics call their service the Mass, which comes from the Latin word Misa, where we are reminded where it comes from the ancient um, practice where the priest or the minister would declare at the end of the service, the fourth movement actually is the sending out where the minister says, go in peace uh, to love and serve the Lord. Um, it can be, you know, spoken in, in different ways, go in the power of the spirit and the world. Um, and, and so those are kind of the four movements. One of the things we did in our last church we were at Ganem, we actually wrote a prayer that summarized those four movements at the very ending. We would say, we've come together to worship Lord. We've come together to worship you. We've sat at your feet. We've heard your word. We've fed at your table. Now send us out to be your hands and feet into the world. And so those are kind of the four movements. And I think they can be adapted to pretty much any context. Good. And I, and I think people, once you're formed in that way and, and you're developed mm. in these practices, then the encouragement is to take them into your everyday life. So um, how is your gathering, and I could be channeling Dave Fitch here, how is your gathering around your your table at your house, an yep. embodiment, kind of a micro liturgy. I mean, our our life, yes. liturgy is the work of the people. Our life yep. is worship. Um, our life is mission. But then we're taking those moments of worship and saying, okay, how do I appropriate those to yep. my everyday moments of whatever it is, cooking breakfast or uh, going to school. Absolutely. Or, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. So again, what happens as we gather in corporate worship um, should form and inform what we do in the home. Yep. And again, your book, we you, you know, we've talked about this. We're both passionate about family discipleship and discipleship in the home. The home is a church. And so think in terms of your home as a place of hospitality. So putting on the fresh expression lenses here, what might this look like? Open your home. Um, to neighbors, to those that, um, you know, don't have a home or don't have families, could be college, university students, you know, who, who are your, who are your neighbors that need to hear about Jesus? Open your home and gather in your home as a gathering. And the second thing is I'm reminded of the Emmaus story. That's kind of my, you know, go-to example of how do we do this on a personal micro level? Well, here Jesus comes alongside the disciples. They're walking on the road and he begins to speak the word of God to them, begins to tell the story. And so what happens is is we gather together in the home or it could be in the workplace. It could be at a third space, could be a coffee shop bar. 
we come together and we tell stories. People gather around a pint or food and the, there's the sharing of stories. Um, then there's a meal. There's something sacramental about the dinner table. And I, you know, I tell people, you know, we need to recover the sacramentality of the dinner table. And the Lord's table, as we gather together with other believers, um, points toward the, the home table, the family table, yep. as, as I like to call it. And it can end this time together. It can be with believers, non-believers. It could be a mixed company. It could be a mixed economy, if you will. Um, and then after that time, you send people out with a blessing. Send them out to be missionaries. You know, hey, man, it's been great to gather together. We've, we've enjoyed a great meal. We've gathered together. We've sat at the table. We've shared stories. God is good. Um, let's go and share this goodness with our neighbors. Let's invite other people into um, the, the grace and the goodness of God uh, around a table. And that's essentially, if you think about that, that's essentially what the liturgical framework is and should do. All of our churches, why wouldn't we want to do that? <laughs> you know, this is a good thing. And it's worshiping in the way that early Christians worship. And ultimately, I think if we re uh, discover these elements and teach teach these things, I think, man, our churches will be missional. Yeah, it's making that connection point yep. from in the sending. It and I and I love the four the four moves there. I love the incorporation of the the prayer of sending. Um, you talk also or early in the book about the you know we're in a polarized culture, um, and I think yeah. uh, liturgical mission has the ability to kind of cut through some of the polarity, especially because the table is so central to it. Um, but talk to me a little bit about how liturgical mission helps navigate between the 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 poles, the two extremes. How do we find some paradox? Uh, mm. rooted in our our practice of liturgy for mission. Yeah, you mean between the polarity between those two things? I, yep. Again, I, I, I believe that there, I think the fourfold framework actually provides us with a model to be able to begin to on-ramp, um, say, more missional-minded churches to be more sacramental. Yep and more rooted with the framework that makes more sense. And if you're multiplying fresh expressions or home church, micro church expressions, this becomes a framework that allows you to actually replicate yep. this. Um, and it, it, it's happening around the world. Um, yeah. So one, I think it, it helps the, those maybe coming from the low church in to be able to have a framework that the way I describe liturgy and some stuff I've written, I can't remember whether it's in this book or something I've done before. I said, you know, liturgy gives us a structure, not a straitjacket. So it's a structure, not a straitjacket, and allows us having a framework yep. is act. We see God is not the author of confusion, yep. and having a, a simple framework for liturgy actually allows us to be open to the Holy Spirit in fresh ways. And I think this can also breathe fresh wind into more high church liturgical expressions that aren't as missional. That's that's another hope for the book is that maybe those in your more high church traditions will kind of get a fresh sense of mission that actually is inherent in their own tradition. It's not just manual acts on a Sunday, but then it's 
power form uh, deeply yeah yeah for the rest of life so so now tell tell us a little bit i mean i know a little bit about your 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 own journey and your own story i mean did you did you yep. grow up in a liturgical no, church no. <laughs> say, say something about Ganon. that yeah no no absolutely so i grew up I didn't, I had a radical kind of conversion experience at 19. I got saved, brother, yeah. at 19 and um, spent a few years, um, went to Lee University, did my undergraduate there, had, um, you know, I was with the Pentecostal Charismatics for a few years and had some genuine encounters with the Holy Spirit, but saw some stuff that was like, eh. You know, it's a little overemphasis on the work of the Spirit, uh, the outward manifestations of the Spirit, if you will. Ended up planting a non-denominational church and was doing church planning, missional movement stuff. I know all the, I'm friends with all the big name missional movement guys, leaders, you know, we, we know them, friends with them doing all that, but had this deep hunger in me for more. Um, I had a hunger like, you know, something's missing. Um, you know, I, I need to be formed around the table. We got the word, we got mission, but I need to go deeper in my own personal formation. How do I make disciples in a, in a deep, deeper way? And I discovered stuff, you know, the Book of Common Prayer. Um, I discovered the creeds, the power of the creeds. I had Dozens, you know, I tell in the back of the book, my, the last thing I added in the very back, my journey, my liturgical journey, where we had dozens of people coming to faith in the church that I planted that was non-denom. And I discovered the Apostles' Creed and the church calendar. And it was like, wow. It's like I, I opened the treasure chest of church history and was like, wow, look at all this stuff. And eventually um, became an Anglican. And, you know, my, you know, I tell people my mission is not to make Anglicans, Gannon. <laughs> my mission is to make disciple, deeply formed disciples of Jesus that are going to be on mission. And so my, my whole passion is like, let's open the treasure chest of church history because this stuff belongs to us. We can claim it. It doesn't belong to one specific tradition, but it belongs to the whole church. And this is where I think let's draw... Let's be open to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, let's um, proclaim the Bible without becoming fundamentalists. Uh, let's engage liturgy and sacrament without become ritualistic, you know, dead ritualism. Um, let's be open to the person and work of the Holy Spirit without becoming crazy kind of, you know, flag waving, you know, whatever. You know, I, I like the term charismatic with the seatbelt. <laughs> and you know, let's, let's be missional and, and bring these streams together. And that's preaching a little bit there, Gannon, but that's, that's kind of my heart, you know, is embracing these different gifts that God has given to us through the church throughout the ages. And, and, you know, you know, I'm sympathetic. You, you say in your book, uh, before I became a liturgical Christian, I simply viewed mission primarily as proclamation, having little time for justice or social mm. action. However, it wasn't until I embraced liturgy that my eyes were open to the need for justice in our day. It was then the power of coming to the Eucharist each week and by praying Mm. the prayers of the people that my heart slowly became aware of the needs of others around me and to the injustices in the world. And then you quote Bob Pierce, founder of World Vision. 
Um, he's, you say that your heart began to be broken for the things that break the heart of God. And, and you needed that historical framework to point yeah. you outside of yourself. And I think that's the, that's both yeah. the strength and maybe the weakness of, um, I, I minister in a, in a, in a Baptist a context and we're a word centered people, yeah. but you know, our church long learned a long time ago, um, that, you know, we had to be about, you know, attending to the needs of the community and, and our yeah. heart began to break for our neighborhood. But I just, I feel like in the, in the word centered churches, mm-hmm. it's, it's so much about um, investment in the individual and a personal yep. commitment to faith, which is important. But then it's that yeah. drawing us outward yep. that you experience through, through the liturgy. One, one of the earlier chapters I get into, I, I call it the word and deed where I look at some of that false dichotomy that emerged in the early 20th century out of the um, fundamentalist modernist controversy, where uh, essentially you had this wing of evangelical Christians that just separated themselves from any social um, engagement in the world and just emphasized personal conversion at the expense of social action and justice. And one of the things that I do argue for in the book is I think that the Bible, you can't read the Bible without knowing, seeing that justice is a major theme in the scriptures. And liturgy isn't the only way. It's not the silver bullet. Uh, but like you just kind of noted, uh, for me coming to the table each week, embracing liturgy, actually the prayers of the people, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Prayer. Um, justice and social action is integrated, is actually a part of our tradition, and we need to own it and we need to reclaim it. And we need to move past the false dichotomy between, you know, conservative, liberal, political, you know, we get back to these historic essentials and we get our eyes back on Jesus and Jesus invites us around his table, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our political party, regardless of our denominational background. Um, and, and out of that, we're reminded at the table of our responsibility. We see this in Corinthians um, to, to care for those um, that are struggling and to care for those that are broken, care for those that are, are where, where injustice is happening. And so that's one of the things that I really highlight as I kind of end kind of like, okay, where does this stuff hit the real world? And liturgy can be a powerful tool for, because the words that we pray week in and week out form us and shape us. And that's where one of the things I would argue is like churches can actually craft liturgies to form their people and the habits of that they live out throughout the rest of the week. And I think that's where liturgy can be a powerful way to form us to join in God's mission, which does include justice. Well, and I think that's where, you know, those coming from the more missional side of the house or, or uh, even in the, the free church sort of world is that we, we, we have a liturgy. Um, it, it's, it's not maybe formed around the table every week. It could be. Um, but we have uh, the ability in the, the, the spontaneity of that gathering to be intentional with yeah. the liturgy that we do have and being really thoughtful about whatever the move is in, in the service of worship. I think, I think, um, and my, my challenge 
to a lot of worship leaders and, and, and pastors and lay leaders out there who have the chance to sort of be a part of, of the public proclamation, whether it be in, you know, just giving a welcome, giving a prayer, reading scripture, you know, those are moments to, yep. to form people. And I don't think we, we yep. take seriously. And, and, you know, I, I'm all about a, a, a joke in church, but I, I feel like we, we lean that way too frequently and we miss, we miss a lot of moments. And we, we put so much into a sermon when a sermon yep. could be dedication of a family, a, a yeah. dedication so, of a new, new baby, that kind of thing. So the second chapter, I call it story-formed worship. Yep. And actually, if I was redoing the book, I would have had that as the first chapter. Um, there's a liturgical renewal chapter. I would have probably put that as chapter four, but whatever. The book's public. The book's in print. So you can revise once it sells a million yeah, copies. There, there you go. So the idea of story, what what biblical liturgical historic worship does, it forms us. And the problem with a lot of low church expressions of worship is there's no intentionality for what's happening in the service. It's kind of like, okay, we can pick and choose whatever songs we want. And then the sermon's going to be the discipling tool. Yep. Um, whereas in, in the liturgy, the entire service, the, 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 pr- the prayers, the Lord's table, all of it preaches and proclaims the good news of the gospel. All of it immerses us in the story. So it's not just up to the preacher. Now, the other thing for pastors, for for you to get this, the gift that the liturgy and the church calendar and things like this did for me was the service did not all rely upon my shoulders. Yep. And man, what a gift. Like What a gift. You know, like, really? Like, it's all not dependent upon how great my sermon is? Like... The way I tell people, the music may have been really off key that Sunday. The sermon could have stunk, but yep. you're going to get Jesus at the table. Yep. You're going to be reminded of the, for those in the, in the more kind of low church, like you're going to get the gospel proclaimed as you come to the table week in and week out. That's what I love about the Lord's Supper. Well, and it embodies mutuality. I mean, you, you talk a lot, and you're, you're quoting Stan Grins, but you know, talk a lot about perichoresis and what that looks mm. like in the, in the life of God. Um, and in that, you know, we have an opportunity in worship to create higher participation in environments than yes. I think we often do. So talk a little bit about how, define perichoresis for us from your point of view. And define how that kind of aspect of mutuality in God mm. shapes yeah. shapes people. Yeah, it's good. So you're reminding me. I forgot that was in the book. And <laughs> there's a whole chapter on Trinitarian. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, perichoresis is a theological term that refers to the inner relationship of the Trinity, and you have this mutuosity. It's perichoresis, like a dance, and and we're invited to join in the dance of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And this idea, this chapter on Trinitarian mission, mission, the other misconception, Gannon, is somehow worship and mission is something we do. Mm. No, we are invited into the dance to join into the great perichoresis of Father, Son, Spirit. And so we ju- we're invited to do that in worship. And then 
to go back out in mission. So we're actually joining in this dance that we see throughout mission. Just actually mission did not start in the new Testament. We see the story of God. The missio Dei is all throughout the pages of scripture. God is inviting his people to join him in mission. And that's essentially what the liturgy is doing. It's inviting us to come and to join in the rich worship of the saints throughout the ages We're praying some of the same prayers. One of the things I end with is a liturgy for mission to just show people. It's a a liturgy for mission that I designed for the uh, EMS, Evangelical Mission Society, did it last year. And we did the Lord's Prayer in 14 different languages across two services. It was so beautiful. Like every line of the Lord's Prayer, we had a different language. We had a person from a different language speak it in their own heart language. Mm. And that's what I love about the Lord's Prayer. It is the most multicultural, global, most ancient, multicultural, historic, global prayer in the Christian tradition. Jesus gave it to his disciples, and it's a prayer of worship, and it's a prayer of mission. I love it. And it's for maybe those that are listening like, hey, this guy's an Anglican. This isn't real world stuff. You know where we started in our church? Like we were a free church. We met in a YMCA. Church is still in a YMCA. We we started with the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> like we're better to like, we started with the Lord's Prayer, uh, the Apostles' Creed. We started just simply adding little pieces. You know, I'm not encouraging people to all of a sudden start, you know, you know, burning incense and like wearing robes investments if you're not, you know. Start somewhere with these small historic movements that will invite people in to the richness that liturgical worship has to offer. And I think the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful place to start because it reminds us of our responsibility and it reminds us of the corporate nature. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, our trespasses. We forgive others. You know, there's this beautiful reminding that uh, it's not just the personal, just you and Jesus, but we're 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 part of a great family of God. That's beautiful, uh, Winfield. Thank you. We could we could almost leave it right there, but be- before I do, I, I want to just talk about uh, a little bit about your writing process and um, what 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 was your biggest challenge to, to writing this book, or maybe and also what inspired you uh, to write in this direction. Yeah, no, it's great. In some ways, Gannon, um, you know, some of my previous books, like this is the, you know, I talk about in the introduction, like, you know, I'm, I've kind of been writing these two worlds. I'm, uh, you know, I'm deeply involved in the missional kind of church planning movement that's global. I oversee a global initiative. Uh, we've got a network of close to 6,000 leaders around the world. Um, trained leaders in 20 plus nations, um, thousands of like, uh, but at the same time, my own journeys led me to embrace the liturgical sacramental tradition. And, uh, I believe this stuff belongs to all of us, as I said. And so, uh, an earlier book I wrote, uh, ever ancient, ever new looked at young adult, even, you know, leaders across the U S who've come to why, why does the draw of liturgy? And so in some ways, this book is the culmination of my own life journey. It's like I'm trying to say, you know what? Mission matters. And 
liturgy and formation matters. And these are not two, um, two, ex- you know, two extremes to it's it, to separate them is a false dichotomy. And there's very little books, to be honest with you, that are writing on the convergence of those two streams. So I wrote it out of what I saw as a deep need to kind of break through that and to bring those worlds together, to say, hey, these things actually belong together. And the future of the church, I argue, actually, uh, I, I, there's a chapter on unity and mission, where I, I believe that these historic frameworks actually can bring Christians together uh, when we see these. So the book's very deeply personal to me. Um, it's probably the most in-depth book. So it's a thought book, but it's don't think like an academic textbook. Um, there's definitely f- a lot of footnotes where if you want to go deeper, it's kind of that kind of book where it, it'll take you deeper, as deep as you want to go in, into trying to understand these worlds. But it's something that you could give to pastors and church leaders that they could pick up and be like, okay, wow, this makes sense. So that's kind of the, the heart behind the book. It's it's in some ways the culmination of my own journey of trying to dance between those two worlds of liturgy and mission. And so let me know, you read the book, uh, if, if it makes sense. And <laughs> I'd love to hear from people as, as they read it. Um, definitely engaged, you know, on social media and people can find me, you know, various, various ways, but love well, how, to hear how stories. Can, how can people find you, Winfield, if, you, if they want to engage or yep. the best way? Yeah. So my personal website is winfieldbevins.com. Um, you know, Twitter, you know, Twitter handle winfieldbevins.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm also an artist. I'm also kind of sacred artist. So I do iconography commission for churches. I'm on Instagram. Uh, so kind of Instagram is my art space. Twitter, Facebook's kind of more my writing area, but yeah, d- open to dialogue questions, you know, and welcome people to reach out to me. Fantastic. Well, one of the um, things that you say, and I think you're you're quoting um, the late Alan Kreider. He and his wife were missionaries mm. for many years in the UK. And I think uh, they say something like, "The church needs to both inhale and worship, and exhale yeah. by going out into the world and sharing the good news, making peace, and caring for creation, reconciliation, marginalized." And so I just invite you, as you're listening, just to um, Inhale uh, in worship yes. and in gratitude, and to exhale now by going into the world, and and that could mean that as you're driving in your car, you stop and you pause and pray before you go into your next meeting or your next errand. But um, the let the 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 breath that is uh, the ruach, the Holy Spirit mm. of God, um, inform your life uh, as you are um, attempting to be um, more deeply formed as a disciple of Jesus and allowing uh, your worship life to do that, your sending to do that. So that's my commission to you, our audience today. Thank you, Winfield, uh, for offering this gift of yourself um, and being Winfield and not trying to be anybody else. Um, it's a it's a beautiful thing. So uh, the Lord be with you, brother, and uh, we'll talk soon. Grace and peace. Amen. Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we eat, play, work, and yes, 
even in our traditional churches. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressionsus.org backslash how to start. The Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by Gannon Sims and me, Heather Delod. It's edited by Joel Limbaum and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you've learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that God's ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations.